Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. All right. Uh, welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast. I'm Henry Chisholm, and there's some news today to talk about. Also, the podcast um, presented by Illegal Pete's. This is a live edition for those of you watching on Periscope. Uh, I figured because there's so much news breaking that you wouldn't want to have to wait an hour for me to record this and then post it on iTunes or all the other places you can find the DNVR Buffs podcast. So you can watch me now if uh, that's what you want to do. Uh, so yeah, some news coming out in the coaching search today. The biggest is that Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, one of the top uh, college football newsbreakers, says that he has heard that the Buffs are interested in defensive coordinator from Oklahoma, Alex Grinch, and also the offensive coordinator from USC, Graham Harrell. Uh, before we dig into who those guys are, I do want to say that I really like both of them. I would be really impressed um, if Rick George can land either of them. I think that they'd be very good hires. Um, in case you guys weren't following along yesterday, Sarkeesian is out. Um, that's the report. He used the Buffs' interest to get more money from Alabama. Um, there have been some other names floated around, but these are the two we're going to focus on today. And we're going to start with Graham Harrell. Uh, so, Graham Harrell. Um, an air raid disciple. He went to the NFL. He's from Texas Tech. He, uh, he he played under Mike Leach there, obviously, and then coached there and coached the air raid there. Uh, so he's a guy who you probably expect to see a bunch of air raid concepts from, but his air raid isn't quite the same as Mike Leach's. Um, in fact, he doesn't even say it is an air raid. He says, I mean, he, he, actually, he actually says the most air raid thing that you can say, which is that the air raid isn't a scheme, it's actually a philosophy. And so you're trying to stretch the defense out all these different ways, and so if you're running a zone scheme, that means your offensive line uses these different types of things, and the power scheme... He, the people who are really into uh, the air raid say it actually isn't. It actually isn't a scheme. It's a philosophy. Or sometimes they even say religion, which is a stretch. But again, it's based off these passing concepts. And there are only 12 passing concepts. That's really the strength of the air raid is that it's so simple. You know, we talked a lot about Steve Sarkeesian in the last couple of days, what he would bring, um, that he would be somebody who would be kind of that chess master. Every player does exactly what he wants him to do, what Sarkeesian wants him to do, every single play. He is in total control. Um, he's setting the defense up. Everybody does their job, and the quarterback makes the right reads, and you're manipulating the defense, then taking, taking advantage of the way that you manipulate that defense. Things are a little bit different uh, in the air raid or using those air raid concepts because, like I said, it's very simple. There are 12 concepts, and the way it works is you just want to stretch the defense and... 
it, it isn't even that quarterback intensive. I've, I've heard people say that it's very quarterback intensive. It isn't in the same way that the West Coast offense is. You know, the West Coast offense, you're studying a phone book for a playbook. Um, with the air raid, they're one word calls and, you know, it's four verticals. It's uh, it's double slants. You know, four verticals. You have your two outside receivers, maybe two slots inside them. Maybe there's a tight end instead of a slot on one side with your one running back. They all just run down the field. Um, it stretches the safeties. If they're playing cover three, they need to pick which three of those four guys to cover. Somebody's open. They also are able to cut off those routes if they find themselves in a little patch of space. It's very simple. It's almost like backyard football. It's pretty much what we all play on Madden. If you guys play like football video games, you're probably playing some version of the air raid offense just picking apart defenses um and again it's not really as read based for quarterbacks as much as it is just having a good feel for the game it's about having good eyes and you know some of it is knowing where to look knowing where to expect to uh find um open receivers but a lot of it is just look find a guy throw him the ball and let him go make a play that's what the air raid is all about being simple um, letting guys get the ball in their hands and go make plays. Um, again, Graham Harrell says that he doesn't really run the air raid. He runs more of a spread offense. It's the air raid. There's a lot more running to it. He does run the ball more than like Mike Leach would be. Um, good question in from Florida Buff 13. What will happen to our running back group? Uh, it, it's tough because the, the, the problem with the Buffs in particular um, and their running back group is that it's so deep. It's that you have so many guys who can get out there, and that's really the strength. Um, if, if you're running this offense at, you know, Washington State, which runs an air raid, or ran an air raid, now Mike Leach is gone, but uh, Max Borgie was very successful in that system because he was kind of just the guy at running back. When you're splitting the carries amongst the three, even in an air raid where you're running 40% of the time, and you're especially running in short yardage situations, you're running late in games when you're trying to run the clock out. Like It, it isn't just pass, 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 like in other versions of this scheme. Um, I don't think they'd like it. I really don't think they'd like it. Um, I do see a guy like you know Deion Smith could... Uh, really shine he's somebody who you want to get the ball in space um and then all of a sudden you have four running backs um so yeah it's not perfect um for them but when you look at the group of receivers that the buffs have um i think that the fit is a lot better because when you look at this group of receivers you see katie nixon at the top uh dimitri stanley up there too and those are two guys who you trust to get open behind them um there's a lot of talent uh, there's a lot of really skilled guys, really good athletes who you want to get the ball in their hands, but maybe you don't trust yet uh, at this point in their careers to learn a big playbook, to, to know how to get open, to beat cornerbacks like that. And so you want to say, you know what, we're throwing four receivers out there, two on each side. Everybody's running a slant. Quarterback, you pick the guy that's open, and then you get the ball in their hands and let them go make a play. Uh, I think that the receivers really could look good in this scheme, um, and it would fit very well because you aren't asking them to do as much. You know, we talked about with Sarkeesian yesterday. Not only is his offense quarterback intensive, it's receiver intensive as well. He he wants those guys to really be tuned in, understanding what they're doing because, you know, with a complex scheme, you can't afford to be missing assignments. Um, and, and the way you do that is to not have everybody memorize what they're doing on a given play, but have them understand the concepts underlying each play and then execute because they have that reinforced knowledge. That's the Sark strategy. For a bunch of young receivers, that could be really tough. Um, with Graham Harrell uh, running this 
kind of air air raid type scheme, you could see them be very, very successful because they are making things so simple for not only the receivers, you know, Vontae Chenault, who'd probably get a, a, a lot more reps in this scheme. A guy like Brendan Rice, you could totally see leapfrogging some of the more experienced guys who would have a leg up in other schemes. Um, but also for the quarterbacks, you know, you you have guys like uh, Brendan Lewis, who we don't know what we have in him yet. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time with him. I can't tell you whether he's a guy who at 18 years old could pick up a thick West Coast playbook and be ready to go by week one. Odds are he could get an air raid playbook that only has, again, 12 passing concepts. That's not very many. A lot of them are just one word calls. And then you still do have some running. So in terms of an air raid scheme, I think that I think that that's the one you'd want to go with is a guy like Graham Harrell. Again, Harrell, only 34. Uh, he's a young guy. He's well-regarded. He's supposed to be one of the next up-and-coming coaches. He's going through USC, which, you know, even if USC isn't what it was before, it, it's still known as one of the big-time football schools. Um, it's it's pretty impressive to be uh, an offensive coordinator there this early. Um, and he's made other stops as well. And everywhere he's gone, the offense has been kicked up a notch. You know, I, I do think that he would have some trouble leaving right now. Uh, you, you look at what's happening at USC. Like I said, they aren't where they want to be. Clay Helton has been on the hot seat for a couple of years. Actually, Sports Illustrated's, uh, they, they have that Maven thing now, so they have their team coverage, but they aren't really Sports Illustrated. They're like affiliated writers. Um, one of them actually broke in December that Clay Helton was being fired, and it turns out that report was wrong, but that's how close he was to being gone. And it was in a similar spot the year before, and that's why the year before, Clay Clay Helton just had to say, you know what? My offense isn't working. We got to bring in a guy uh, like uh, Graham Harrell and let him take things over and just run the offense and do the X's and O's. And it was an overwhelming success. Uh, it's worth noting that he did a lot of that with Keaton Slovis at quarterback. And um, Keaton was a freshman. He's a young guy and he had success in that pretty simple scheme. And now if you're if, if you're like in Vegas or somewhere where it's legal to gamble and you look up the Heisman odds, you're gonna see Keaton Slovis's name way up near the top. So again, that looks really good for the buffs when you're thinking Brendan Lewis probably is the guy. But also, why would Graham Harrell wanna leave that situation when either things are going to go really well and you're going to be coaching a Heisman caliber quarterback, or you know, if things don't go well. Clay Helton is probably on the way out, and Graham Harrell is the top in-house option to take his job. Um, so he's in a pretty good situation there. You know, Colorado could probably double his salary, and uh, that's tough. Again, tough to turn down. We've learned recently, but um, you know, there there's concerns are there about whether he'd be interested. Again, I, I think that he could be a great fit. Um, I, I think that you know you do have some of those concerns about um, what do you do uh, with the running game? Is it that big of a problem? But we also have questions. What even is this running game? How much was Chris Kapilovic a part of that? Um, the offensive line coach who is now left from Michigan State. Um, is this offensive line still on the path to be one of the best in the conference? Are these running backs still on the path to be some of the best in the conference? Or were they more of a product of Kapilovic? And, you know, it's, it, it's something that we just don't know right now. But what we do know is that in terms of easy things to learn for these young quarterbacks, young receivers. Graham Harrell's offense is one of them. And and he he's proud of that. He's proud of how simple it is to learn that these are all the little things you have to do to uh 
<laughs> to uh, be successful. Silver Buff said, where's the bookshelf? Um, right there behind me. You can't only see the top of it. You can also see my Starbucks protein pack that I took before this. It's why I'm so energetic. Also this uh, big Americano. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think he'd be a great fit. I think he'd be exciting. I think he would fire a lot of people up about this program again. And right now, those are big pieces of the puzzle. Um, again, when you're when you're talking about these young recruits, and we're going to get to Alex Grinch here in a minute, um, a lot of it has to do with the interview. Um, it, it's easy for all of us to say, we have opinions on Jim McElwain, on Brett Bielema, on uh, Troy Calhoun, on all these different guys. Because we've gotten to know them and we know who's had success. We know what their personalities are like because we've seen so much of them. When you look at Graham Harrell, who's 34, um, you look at Alex Grinch, who's another young guy. He's 40. We don't know as much about them. And so that interview process is worth a lot more. Um, and we don't get to be in the room for the interviews. But again, that that is kind of the big question mark. And the thing that we can't answer is how do those interviews go? Um, Graham Harrell will be awesome, though. Graham Hill will be so awesome. I'm going to pull up my notes and make sure I hit all the key points I want to hit. Um, but again, the way the air raid works is just making... They, they want one unguardable play for everything the defense can throw at them. You're in cover two? Well, guess what? That means you can't th- you can't cover four verticals. Cover three, kind of the same thing. And, and so when you look at it that way, they just need one play for each of those situations. They practice those plays over and over and over. And then they get those plays perfect. It's about execution instead of coaching, instead of play calling, instead of, you know, that that chess game that I always talk about. I think it'd be fun. I think that there's a lot more potential for uh, a coach like that to step in and find success right away. And, you know, when you have a 34-year-old coach who finds success right away, that gets people fired up. This isn't Brett Bielema coming in. And even if he is successful, we say, huh, you know, it's Bielema. He's a veteran coach. We thought that he could probably pull six, seven, eight wins out of this team. Eight's probably a stretch. But but with a guy like Graham Harrell to come in and have that sort of success, imagine, you know, we're only a year removed from hiring a, a first-time head coach in Mel Tucker who went five and seven. What would we all have been saying if he had gone seven and five, if he'd won eight games? We'd be pretty excited. I mean, remember a couple of weeks ago how excited we were about Mel going only five and seven? Um, things change quickly. Uh, but yeah, Graham Harrell, I, I really like a lot of what he does. It would be an interesting change, though, to go from a guy like Sarkeesian, who is that grandmaster chess type, like set him up, take advantage, set him up, take advantage, just keeping the defense on the heels and then beating them up over and over and over in all these different ways, keeping them confused. Um, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see them go the exact opposite route with somebody who says, you know what? It's going to be simple. We're going to get the ball in our playmaker's hands. We're going to run the double slants. We're going to send three guys deep when they have two safeties. We're going to throw these little screens to keep them close so that they can't keep people back. And then we're going to ground and pound just a little bit too because that's part of being a winning football team. And Graham Harrell does have that blend. Um, And I think that's what makes him particularly exciting if the Buffs were to go a more pass-heavy route. Um, A guy like him who understands the value of the running game but still also knows the way football is going with these spread offenses, these air raid offenses, and hopefully could blend them all together. We'd have to see what happens actually on the field, though. Um, I don't know. Um, again, he, he was uh, second 
in offense in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, total offense, second in passing, only 10th in rushing, so it's not like they're big numbers. Uh, and then third in scoring. Those are good numbers, especially when you compare them to what USC was the year before. Um, also, one of the knocks on the air raid is that typically the defense doesn't hold up as well on the other side. You know, the USC defense wouldn't because they're out on the field so much. They're spending so much time doing that. They're working. They aren't getting as much rest, whatever. Um, USC was actually sixth in total defense and points allowed. So they weren't knocked off in the same way that some other teams were, like Washington State, which was the only team ahead of USC in yards and points per game last year. Um, I love it. You know, you see a lot of um, people, especially this time of year, uh, like talking about draft prospects. I saw yesterday somebody had broken down the percent change in um, yards per route by various receivers compared to the um, national average. So like Jerry Judy, when he runs an out route, picks up 80% more yards per play. And they go through all these numbers. And those are all good things to use but sometimes what really matters is just understanding the football and being able to look at the field and say, hey, look, he's getting open. He's getting separation. And when you look at this offense and what USC did, it has that too. It passes the eye test. That's why Keaton Slovis is so uh, so exciting of a prospect. Heidi line. Um, and you know what? I love it. It's about execution over scheme. It's about creating opportunities for playmakers. It's almost like an option offense in some ways in that it isn't necessarily you need a super smart quarterback. That that isn't what you'd say about you know an Air Force quarterback. That it's a bright guy who understands these deep playbooks and can make all these decisions. It's about reads. It's about looking at what's in front of you and deciding whether you should have the ball or whether the guy you're pitching you could potentially pitch the ball to should have the ball. That's what the air raid offense is. It's almost like a basketball offense. It's look, he's open. Throw the ball to him. It's very simple. The playbook is very thin. The transition would be fairly seamless uh, assuming assuming he's a decent head coach like he isn't struggling in that regard I think he would be a lot of fun um, also again before you run away from the air raid and say eh, it's kind of a gimmicky offense Lincoln Riley was an air raid coach he spent uh, 2003 to 2009 as um, an offensive coach at Texas Tech under Mike Leach very similar to the path that Graham Harrell has been on um I think I think Lincoln Riley's 37 now, um, and Harold's 34. So so that is kind of the upside is you get a guy like that who is that innovative offensive mind, taking these simple concepts, you know, plug and play quarterback, throw anybody in there and they'll understand. And it, it, Lincoln Riley uses all of those concepts still to this day. It is a simple playbook, but he just has so many quirks that he throws in there. Uh, whether it's option plays, whether it's these misdirection screen passes to random players, you know, there is a bunch of that too, and that's what makes him not just a good head coach, but a, a very, I mean, one of the best in college football, Graham Harrell could have that potential in him as well. Um, again, I, I think the only downside here is, or the reason you think it couldn't happen, is that he might just be looking at USC and saying, if things don't go well for Clay Helton this year, he might be gone halfway through the season. Um, and and Graham Harrell will be next in line for that job. Um or if things do go well, it's because Keaton Slovis in his second year as quarterback as a sophomore is on his way to maybe being a Heisman finalist. And that's the kind of guy that you want to coach. All of a sudden, he gets a ton more interest after next season. So I don't think just giving him a raise would be enough to give him to Boulder. 
You never know, though. And the fact that Rick George is barking up that tree, according to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, love it. I think that's a great sign. Um, We're about to talk about Alex Grinch, who is very different. Almost could be no more different. Complex defense. Also, he's a defensive coach. Um, Still a pretty young guy. Uh, But first, I want to tell you about our awesome friends at Breckenridge Brewery because they are incredible. Um, You guys know how much we love their beers. Their beer locator is so convenient. If you want to try the Colorado Core, the Strawberry Sky, they have this new beer like Blueberry, Akai, something. I don't even know. Is it Akai, Akai, something like that. But um, get get to their website, check out the beer locator, and uh, it'll get you all hooked up with whatever Breckenridge beer you want to try. And we'll be drinking a bunch of them at the Avalanche Watch Party tomorrow at Blake Street Tavern. Um, The Avalanche play at eight maybe 8 30 so uh we'll see uh you there hopefully if you rsvp if you remember you get a free breckenridge beer um when you go there acai according to d-line i don't trust him when it comes to berries but whatever also i want to tell you about our friends at illegal pete's um such a cool place if you are going to any event you have a ticket whether it's a concert whether it's a sporting event whatever on that same day you can go to any illegal pete's location and Tell them about DNVR, and they'll give you a free margarita or a free draft beer with the purchase of an entree. It's a steal. Uh, Got to take advantage because those burritos are so good. Colorado staple. Um, love it. Okay, Alex Grinch. Um, and again, if you guys are just getting in here now and want to hear the rest of this, it'll be in the DNVR Buffs podcast, um, which I'll post when I'm done talking in a little bit. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind. Um, Alex Grinch. He runs an interesting defense, um, and it's really hard to explain what it is because it's so many different things. Um, It's not a 3-4 or 4-3. It's closer to a 4-3 probably. It's kind of like a 3-3-5, but there's so many different hybrid players at so many different places in this defense that labeling it one thing or another just doesn't work. Um you know, it's it. They they have their version of the star position, which is what Davion Taylor played, kind of an outside linebacker, kind of a safety, um, kind of a cornerback. Um, he's just like their nickel, but he plays in the base package because he can do so many different things. That's still a position in the Oklahoma defense, the Alex Grinch defense. They also have a hybrid kind of defensive line outside linebacker spot, um, which you know would probably be where a guy like Jason Harris would fit if he were the next Buffs head coach. Um, they have these hybrid positions. They change what they do on every play. It's kind of similar to what I said, if you guys listen to the DNVR Buffs podcast again, um, about Andy Avalos from Oregon. It's so confusing. You just don't know what to expect. You never see the same thing twice. Um, and everything changes right up to the snap. And that's one of the big things that Mel Tucker did this year is make changes and make changes and make changes all the way until the ball was snapped and the offense didn't really know what was coming. Um, And eventually it worked. And I think that there are some pretty significant differences in those defenses. And we'll get into what those are in a second. But one of the, one of the key points that I really like is that it is so confusing that they'll, they'll have three defensive linemen, one play, four defensive linemen, the next play they might have, they might have four defensive linemen, but one is that, Jason Harris defensive end slash outside linebacker who could either rush the passer or he could drop back in coverage and you know Jason Harris isn't great in coverage likely at least from what I've seen um he hasn't done it much at the very least um 
you could still drop him into a short zone and pick off a slant pass because the quarterback doesn't see it coming. It's that sort of confusion that the Alex Grinch defense is all about, and uh, it'd be fun. And, you know, I, I, I do think that this late it'd be tough to implement a complex defense with a thick playbook and all these different things. Um, one thing that's worth noting about what Alex Grinch does is typically the play call is almost set um, once they get out on the field. It's just that they all know if, if, if I'm a cornerback and my responsibility is to play the deep third on my side of the field, you know, I can take a couple steps forward. I can make it look like press and then drop back right before the snap and give myself the angle I need to beat the receiver back there. Um, same thing with the linebackers. You know, you, you know you're you're in charge of the A-gap. Why not take three, four steps out to the right when they're lining up, when the offense is still calling plays and trying to figure out what exactly they're going to do, making their shifts, and then snap back into position. You see that with the defensive line. They're, they're stemming every play, all these different things. It's confusing, and it confuses offenses, but the defense isn't like making last-second decisions on what they are going to do. Um, it's fun to watch. It's really fun to watch. And I think the most important thing is that it's been incredibly successful. Um, everywhere he's gone, Alex Grinch has really significantly uh, helped um, the defensive numbers. You know, this year, Oklahoma's defense took a huge jump. Uh, I, I think, let's see. I have it listed here in my notes, but I put it somewhere in the middle. Um, the point is, massive jump. I think they went from like uh, second to last in yards up to tied for first in yards allowed. Similar jump in points. Made a jump in sacks. And part of the reason for the jump in sacks, and this is another reason why I think this defense could fit so well in Colorado, is that in Alex Grinch's defense, it's a one-gap scheme. So what that means is when you line up at the line of scrimmage, every player on the defense is assigned a gap. So you have your defensive tackles assigned like the A-gaps. You, you have all, uh, everybody in the box, your defensive linemen, the linebackers, um, everybody's assigned something between the center and the right guard, the right guard and the right tackle, and everybody's job is to fill that gap. So it creates the opportunities for penetration. When you look at the defenses that, uh, or the defensive players that Colorado has, guys like Mustafa Johnson, Antonio Alfano, um, Naeem Rodman, um, Terrence, Lang, you know, you have so many of these guys. When you tell them your job is to get upfield through this gap, they have the talent, they have the speed, they have the strength, the moves to get through that gap and make plays in the backfield. You'd see a lot more tackles in the backfield, a lot more sacks because of the way they're asked to play. Um, Mel Tucker's defense, the Nick Saban beef defense, is typically more of a two-gap scheme. And in a two-gap scheme, what you typically do is um, everybody lines up on a blocker and you hit the blocker, and then you read the defense. And so you roll off into a gap. Um, typically, the defensive linemen just kind of create some chaos up front, just take up the blockers, and you ask the linebackers to swoop around and make plays. Um, you may remember uh, when Mel Tucker, we were talking about the Mel Tucker defense early on at the DNVR Buffs podcast. One of the keys to it is having a big roving linebacker so that when you take up all of the space up front, he's the guy who swoops in, makes the play. Uh, Roquan Smith is, is an example of that guy in a past Mel Tucker defense. Um, and what he was known for is just filling those gaps. What made him one of the best linebackers in the country and made him such a high draft pick was that he could also cover from sideline to sideline. Um, Nate Landman, I think this year could be that kind of guy. But flashing back to a conversation that we had with Nate probably three weeks into the season um, when he still hadn't posted a tackle for loss after putting up quite a few as a sophomore the year before, he said the difference was 
he wasn't seeing as many stretch runs. So in those stretch runs, what he does is um, everybody's blocking out this way with the linebacker. He follows, hits a gap, and then cuts a guy in from behind. You know, the classic Nate Landman tackle is wrapping up a guy's ankles from behind in the backfield and just kind of like pulling him down. You know, he can hit too, but it's that like when he gets around the ankles, that's what I remember. That's what I think of when I think of Nate Landman. He has the opportunity to do that too. Again, his job in this scheme would be to hit a gap, get through, and make a play. I love that for all these guys. Um, it, it just creates so many more opportunities to make plus plays defensively when you run that one-gap system that Alex Grinch runs. Um, the, the the knock on it, the reason every team doesn't do this, is that if somebody doesn't fill their gap or they miss the tackle, all of a sudden there's open field behind them. And, and you see these defenses give up big plays because of that. All of a sudden, the running back is one-on-one with a safety. Um, so there is that risk. Uh, when you think back recently in Denver, uh, the Broncos Super Bowl defense, the, the one that was pretty incredible, that Broncos defense was a one-gap system, like Alex Grinch's. Um, they all hit their gap, and so many of them got through that they were making plays in the backfield consistently in the running game, in the passing game, um, just create havoc. That's, that's the Alex Grinch motto. Just create havoc any way you can, Um, whether it's trying to get in the backfield, whether it's changing up coverages over and over and over, whether switching from a 3-4 alignment to a 4-3 alignment from play to play to play, maybe even lining up in the 4-3, like I said earlier, using that hybrid outside linebacker defensive end, I think Jason Harris would fit well into that position and just having him drop into coverage when you think that he's rushing the passer. You know, it's just that sort of confusion that that defense creates and... uh, It's had success everywhere he's gone. Now he's 40. Um, Unlike Graham Harrell, who's kind of staring down the barrel of a head coaching job, if things don't go well for USC this year, if Clay Helton does get fired, Alex Grinch is behind Lincoln Riley. Um, And that's... uh, He's got that job for a while. He's going to be there for a long time. Um, Yeah, I I really like it. I, I, I think that there's a lot to like. Is it a little bit more complex? Yep. And we saw what happened last year um, when Mel Tucker tried to implement a very complex scheme. By the last three weeks of the season, Colorado had a top three defense in the conference. I don't know what the stats say, but I watched a lot of football. I'll tell you that's a top three defense. It might take a little a little while for this defense to really start gelling. Um, a lot of it is fairly similar um, in a lot of ways. Uh, some of the positions are the same. Um, again, Oklahoma's defense was very good last year. And and for the first time in a while, again, Lincoln Riley runs a quasi-air raid scheme that, that gives up a lot of points on the other end because the defense is on the field so long. Oklahoma went from the second most yards allowed in the 2018 season to the fewest yards allowed in the 2019 season. In the offseason, the big move was bringing in Alex Grinch. That's the kind of success it had. Um, they, w- they gave up the most points in the entire uh, Big 12, the uh, 2018 season, and the third fewest points in the 2019 season with Alex Grinch in charge. Also, they made a bunch more sacks because of all the reasons I just described. Running that one-gap scheme where you're betting on your guys. Uh, similar to Graham Harrell, just saying, get the ball in their hands, let them go. Um, this is free up. Here's your gap. Do what you want with it. You want to play conservative? You want to fill it? Fill it. You want to go through, bring down a guy in the backfield? You have the green light to do that, too. And obviously, there will be a little more input, situational stuff, but that's kind of how it works. It's just so confusing for the other team. I love it. 
Um, before we move on, I do want to talk a little bit about Troy Calhoun um, because uh, I, I know that I said yesterday that Calhoun could be uh, the next guy up with the offer. Doesn't sound like that's the case. Uh, when Sarkeesian turned it down, um, I think Ryan Konigsberg, our own Ryan Konigsberg, reported that they're kind of just resetting this coaching search. Um, they were um, kind of going through another round of interviews, coming up with another list of candidates that they want to talk to, and uh, going from there. It sounds like Graham Harrell, who I really like, and Alex Grinch, who I really like, are kind of at the top of that list, according to Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. Troy Calhoun may be gone now. Um, he actually had a media availability. I think it was yesterday. It was either early this morning that they had practice or yesterday afternoon. And he did what Troy Calhoun always does. And that's when he gets asked questions. Just kind of deflects. Uh, did you interview for the Colorado job? Did I? And that's a direct quote. That's actually how he handled that. Uh, there's a bunch more. Oh, Greg Roman. Interesting. Huh. Uh, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, not seeing the comments pop up, um, apparently Gro- Greg Roman is being interested. That one kind of surprised me. Um, but yeah, so Graham Harrell, really like. Alex Grinch, really like. Troy Calhoun, likely out. Uh, did the thing with the media that he always does, which is just not say things. Um, before we move along, um, and I think I might cut off the live part here. Oh, according to rivals. Interesting. Um, but before we move along, get into some questions. Um, I, uh, want to tell you all about all of our good friends at Strava craft coffee. And if you guys know us, you know, uh, how much we love Strava craft coffee. It is incredible coffee, CBD infused. Uh, if you use the code DNVR 2019, they'll ship it straight to your door. And, uh, uh, you get 20% off. So there's a steal. Uh, it treats a whole bunch of different things um, like migraines, IBS, whatever you could be uh, having issues with. Um, it's worth giving it a try. See if it works because you do get the discount. Okay, I'm going to run through these comments, see if I miss anything before I jump off the live part. Um, bookshelf, Rhinebeck Group. Oh, is Chev going to have to go elsewhere as a coordinator first to get a serious look as head coach here? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, th- I think that Chev still is on the path, but he's still just not quite uh, to the end of the path. Um, I think that uh, it's interesting because a couple of the sources I've talked to have said, you know what? I don't necessarily think that Chev should be our head coach, but I don't really want him as the offensive coordinator either. If I had to pick one, I'd probably say head coach. And so that's kind of one of the weird things here because people do remember that his stint as offensive coordinator at Colorado didn't go well. Um, A lot of people were really upset, didn't produce a whole bunch of things there. So I, I do think that for him, it's a lot more of just putting in the grind and being an assistant head coach like he was with Mel put him on that perfect path to being the next head coach at Colorado because he was kind of Mel's right-hand man. Uh, he he was involved in decisions. And if he wasn't involved, he was at least there kind of hearing about what went into the decisions. You know, so, so many things about being a head coach in college football, people don't really recognize. Um, you know, if, if the grades are falling, you need to get like the APR, API, whatever the acronym is up. You need to have a plan to fix it. 
Is it throwing in a demerit system? Is it more study halls? Is it all these different things? And as a football coach, you really don't think about any of that. And that's why so many guys from the NFL have a tough time transitioning to college because that isn't a thing in pro football. You don't have to care about grades in pro football. You don't have to motivate guys to do their schoolwork. You don't have to host study halls, you know? And and for somebody to get to that level where they're ready to be a head coach, they need to have plans for that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying Chev doesn't. Um, I just think that working as Mel's right-hand man would have put him in a great position to learn how Mel approaches all those things. The same way Mel learned from Nick Saban and and then kind of helped Kirby Smart because Kirby Smart went to be the off- or be the head coach at Georgia um, after being the offensive coordinator at Bama. And uh, Mel Tucker went there to be his defensive coordinator. And so that the two of them, you know, Kirby Smart was the head coach, but Mel really was involved in a lot of those decision-making processes. And so that kind of got him ready to be a head coach and handle those problems for himself. A guy like Chev... He was he was learning those things from Mel, um, but now Mel's gone. And and so I do think that maybe he doesn't even need to be a coordinator again before you make him a head coach. But a few more years experience on that side of things, looking at, um, you know, if, if you're not going to be the coordinator route, if you're not going to be the Steve Sarkeesian, look, I'm an offensive mastermind. You can only pay head coaches the amount of money I deserve if... Uh, or, or you can only pay me the amount of money I deserve if it's a head coach's salary. You can't pay me to be an offense coordinator unless you're Georgia right now or Alabama right now. But um, then for that, he's your play caller. He's your football guy. He does all those things and he has to handle those same problems, but he adds more value on the field in that way. Um, and so that's kind of where his his um, gravity is just a little bit stronger um, because he is known as one of the great football minds. If Chev isn't going to take the coordinator route, which I think is still on the table, you know, he had, he had a tough stretch as Colorado's coordinator, but it was his first time doing it. And and another time around, he may improve. Um, also worth noting that he was at Texas Tech in an air raid scheme. Um, so he, he might actually fit well if Graham Harrell were to be the head coach and a head coach who is very offensive oriented. So he wouldn't, Chev wouldn't have the same responsibilities this time around as offensive coordinator if he were to uh, to take that job under a guy like Graham Harrell, who would be very involved. Steve Sarkeesian being another example of a guy who's very involved as a head coach, and Chev could be um, an offensive coordinator, but not have all of the pressure on him, not have all of the play-calling pressure on him, all those different things. Uh, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City is kind of doing that same thing, um, where you know he's a smart guy, obviously he knows his football, but a lot of what you like about him isn't necessarily what you see on the field. It's it's about, you know, who he is, all that kind of stuff. Because Andy Reid is running that offense. Andy Reid is calling the plays for that offense. Um, and I think Chev could maybe take that path. If you bring in a defensive head coach like Alex Grinch and your offensive coordinator job now needs to be the man who runs the offense, um, call all the plays, set the schemes, decide all these different things. You know, everything runs through him. Um, I'm not sure if uh, you you want to give Chev that job because uh, because he did have a rough go the first time around, and I don't know why uh, he did he, he did have whatever struggles he had. Uh, maybe he didn't have the support. Maybe there was whatever. Maybe the players weren't listening. All these different things. Rick George knows that stuff better than any of us, and he's the one who is going to be very involved in that process. So it could be that Chev is a little bit underrated in terms of what he can provide as a play caller um, just because of the situation he was put into. Um, we don't know that for sure, though, and we can speculate one way, we can speculate the other. What we know is things 
didn't go great. And uh, if he were to take the offensive coordinator to head coach route, I would expect it to be um, under an offensive head coach who would really run things. Um, for a guy like Chev, I do see that assistant head coach route where he's more of the CEO, hire good coordinators, let Chev run the recruiting, let Chev set how everything works, set the tone for the whole program, do a lot of the work with boosters, be that CEO type Um that's the path that I could see him taking. And again, he was very much on that path as assistant head coach to Mel. Um, whether he becomes assistant head coach again, uh, we don't know. Um, so he didn't become the assistant head coach under Mel until Pac-12 Media Day this summer. I think that was like July 26th, 27th, something like that. Um, and so we won't know right away if that's where he is. Um, I, I don't know. Those, those are some thoughts on Chev there. Um, okay. Yep. That's going to do it for the live portion. I'm going to jump into some of the DNVR comments. If you want to hear me talk more, um, you can either listen to the DNVR buffs podcast, or you can restart this live from the beginning. When I talked more about what I think of Graham Harrell, who I, I think he's my new favorite. Um, he's taken Sarkeesian's place there or, um, also Alex Grinch from Oklahoma, who I really, really like as well. I think both would be good options. We'll talk uh, when something happens on here or maybe for a podcast tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, Bye, guys. Okay. So now I'm just on the podcast and nobody else. uh, I'm not like live, which is a weird change. I realize I talk really fast when I'm I'm in front of that camera. But um, one thing, I had to like run away from that because uh, I was getting a phone call from an unknown number. And I was like, oh, wow, this might be like somebody who I gave my number to actually reaching out to talk to me um, about the buffs. Turns out, no, it was spam. And so that's why I had to take my phone off the live um, so I could call back and I realized, yeah. Okay, but um, before we get into the questions, I do want to take a second to talk about Greg Roman. Um, so, okay, here's for those of you who don't know, he's the offensive coordinator for the Ravens. You might remember the Ravens have a pretty awesome offense if you watch NFL football at all. Um, A lot of things to like about uh, Greg Roman. Uh, It seems like he's been around for forever. I'm actually not sure how old he is. I'm going to Google that while I talk. But um, the Ravens offense, I think in a lot of ways, would work in Boulder. Maybe even work better in Boulder. Because it is kind of a college offense, a lot of RPOs, a lot of options, um, a lot of um, pistol shotgun looks, and also um, it uses a lot of heavy personnel. Um, you, you, you see the Ravens go, uh, you know, first of all, you actually see them go like four wide sometimes just to change things up, but they have a lot of multiple tight ends, they have fullbacks on the field, um, you know, they have a lot of power personnel and they use a lot of misdirection. Again, you, you know what? We talked a lot about Troy Calhoun um, being being an option because he could have some upside creatively um, in an offense that is his mix of like his West Coast background with some option concepts that he learned in uh, in Colorado Springs at Air Force over the last 14 years. 
That's actually kind of what Greg Roman is doing right now. Um, it's a West Coast offense, but also they're pulling in a bunch of um, those option concepts. It's a lot like the 49ers offense, which we've talked about a little bit in the last couple of days um, because of Troy Calhoun. Um you know, you could see the fit using multiple running backs, using Brady Russell as, you know, just like a wild man to put wherever you want. Um, yeah, I could definitely see it, especially, you know, you, you look at um, you look at Lamar Jackson and uh, you could see how Brendan Lewis could fit into the Lamar Jackson role. Um, it is concerning. He has very little college experience. Um, pulling up his Wikipedia page, even less college experience than I thought. Um, he was Stanford's tight ends coach and offensive tackles coach in 2009, 2010. That's it. Uh, he's he's 47. Um, you know what? I would actually love this hire um, because he would bring that offense with him. Um, yeah. He was the offense coordinator last year in Baltimore, uh, tight ends coach, assistant head coach a couple years before that, um, offense coordinator with the Bills before that, so that would have been the Tyrod Taylor era. Oh, and before that, he was in San Francisco, of course. Um, he was the offensive coordinator for four years, um, again, running that West Coast offense where it originated back there. Um, a lot to like. Also, he uh, was the NFL assistant coach of the year last year, which you'd expect after leading the offense he led, turning Lamar Jackson into what he turned into. I mean, you got to credit Lamar as well. Greg Roman. I like that name. I really like that name. I think this group of coaches, I might even like better than the last group. Um, you know, the last group being, you know, Biennemi's name was kind of thrown around. Uh, Chev's name was thrown around. Also have um, Steve Sarkeesian, Troy Calhoun, out of that grouped group, I think that uh, it was pretty clear. I like Sarkeesian the best. I like Troy Calhoun second. Um, yeah, I think that if I were to look at this group as a whole or that group as a whole, take just like a random one, I would much rather have this group of Alex Grinch, Graham Harrell, Greg Roman. Um, if I were to rank those, I think I think I might take Greg Roman. Um, because he uh, he is a little bit older. He is a little bit more experienced. Um, it scares me that he doesn't have as much experience with college. He doesn't have as much experience recruiting. You know, we just talked about that, talking about Chev, how learning how to do the little things that takes to run a college football program, it's different than running an NFL program. Um, you have to worry about grades. You have to worry about boosters. You have to worry about recruiting. You have to worry about the, the um, what do you call them? The, the people in charge, the regents. Um, you, have, you have an athletic director. I guess that's kind of like having a GM, so that's not all that different. Um, and you're representing a school. You're, you're, you're working with kids instead of men who are getting paid millions of dollars to do what you tell them and are motivating themselves. So I guess maybe there is a little more downside there than I thought. I, I think the easy connection would be to say he's the he's the safe hire. Greg Roman's the safe hire. I don't know that he necessarily is. Um, but I do think he has quite a bit of upside. And I think this offense, you know, you want creativity on offense. That's been how you win in college football for a long time. Um, Greg Roman obviously has that. Graham Harrell's offense... You know, like I said, I really do think that it could succeed in Boulder. Um, 
this would be interesting, though. These would be kind of different directions. Again, Graham Harrell, when you say air raid about him, remember that he does run the ball more than any other air raid coach. I think I, I read one story about him where he said, like, you know, you want air raid, it's it's Mike Leach or nobody else. Like, he's he's the guy who runs the air raid. Um, Greg Roman. I like it. I do like it. I'd be happy with any of these three. Um, that's another one that I will add to my list of happiness. And... Um, Let's see where it goes. Let's definitely see where this goes. Um, okay. Um, jumping in the comments. Guess what? I had it pulled up, but uh, they disappeared. Um, there it is. Oh, yeah. Back when we were talking about Sarkeesian or Calhoun being the better option. Let's see if any of these are still relevant. Sunny Rain. Sorry, Henry. Another thought. Actually, two thoughts. The hire has to be Sarkeesian. If CU went with Bielema, Mel's agent gets rich on both ends of the disaster. Yup. CU can't allow itself to be played as the monkey in the middle or pickle in the middle. Yeah, and you don't want to be a monkey or a pickle. Weird thing. So, last night at the Buffs game, which I wish we had more time to talk about, but the Buffs basketball game, they beat USC. It's a very good win. They're now alone at the top of the Pac-12 conference because Oregon lost huge game against UCLA on Saturday. You all have to be there. I will be there. Um, it's, it's huge. It's the last game for these seniors, Shane Gatling and Lucas Seward. Both are incredible kids. I say kids, even though Lucas is a year younger than me. Shane's, she might be two years, one year, something like that. So I probably shouldn't call them kids, but Support them. Massive game. UCLA, which is now somehow in the hunt for all of this. Uh, Colorado can't afford to lose to this team twice. Last time they play in Boulder, please just come out there. It's going to be so much fun. Let's pack that place. It was so packed against USC. Back to the point. Packed by Phil Lindsay, Vic Fangio, John Elway. And uh, I think at halftime, you know, there's like the bananas and the monkeys. I don't understand how that relates to CU at all. If any of you understand that, if there is like actually some reason, nobody's been able to give me a reason. Everybody's just like, yeah, it's just what they do. It's like, well, why? They just do it. But um, one of the monkeys that is friends with the bananas, I guess, which is weird. They shouldn't be friends. But one of the monkeys uh, at halftime went over and was like just chatting with John Elway, like went up to Elway's courtside seat and they were just like talking for a few minutes. It's like, how is the monkey getting John Elway's time? Um, also saw Brady Russell because Matt Russell was there with Elway. Um, he's now very high up. He's like right-hand man to John Elway. Uh, Phil got massive applause as he deserves because he's Phil. Um, but yeah, um, thanks for mentioning monkeys so I could get into that. Now, knowing that both coaches share the same agent, I want no part of Bielema. That would be so embarrassing to me, so no think that's fair don't think you have to worry about it i think bielema is out um otherwise they would have offered him the job and maybe they did offer him the job and he just said no whatever i think they've probably moved on assuming they don't just get burned a few times and have to circle back to somebody they didn't necessarily like or raise the offer to somebody who didn't like them uh if they go with calhoun i bet you can say goodbye to a large amount of the new recruits yeah I know the kids say they're staying, but to go from Mr. Charms to the Stoic Military Academy coach who has run the triple option for a decade and a half, nothing says OK Boomer like a stoic, stiff-necked football coach. I think kids wouldn't break their necks to leave. Um, yeah. Um, please don't hire these guys, RG. I think you're safe now. I think you're very safe now. Um, again, would he retain recruits? You don't really know. Um, from the personality he shows the media, he's kind of shared with Colorado over the last 14 years. You'd say no. Maybe he's a different person in the houses. Maybe he can turn it on. Um, maybe he's just permanently turned off, which would make a lot of sense. 
Um, Sonny Rain, Sarkeesian, I didn't think he was actually a real possibility. If he truly is in on the job, I think you have to roll the dice on the guy. I was right there with you. We might be going down a better path. Greg Roman. Huh. See, like, I had I had time to, like, sit in the um, Graham Harrell, Alex Grinch report. Like, I took, like, an hour um, to, like, think through all of my thoughts there and throw them out there. Greg Roman, I'm kind of on the spot right now, to be totally honest. I would like it. I would like to see him go super heavy. I would like to see what they do with those receivers, you know, run those little screens to keep them spread out. It'd be interesting. It'd be big-time power football. You're running behind that offensive line. Like I said earlier, you don't know what this offensive line is, but it was, it was good last year. Um, okay, back to the comment. Of all the possible candidates, he's the one that's most likely to give the buffs a big boost forward. Again, talking about Sarkeesian. Even if things go south with him, you roll the dice and hopefully you land a few premier prospects, get more wins, and entice a bigger fish down the road. If he's really an option, he's a no-brainer. CU will definitely keep all of its recruits, and Blake Stenstrom would probably put his gear in reverse real quick. I don't know if he can do that or not. Back out of the portal. Yeah, so the way the portal works is um, you're basically opening yourself up to be contacted. You're saying any college coach in the country, here's my phone number, here's my email, and that's about all that's in the portal. It's almost like an Excel sheet. Um, it, it is an Excel sheet. They just took the branding off probably. But uh, yeah, so so that's what that means. You could always go back until you actually sign with another team, um, and that's when you're kind of stuck. Give me Sark is how he ends the comment. Interesting to hear what your guys' takes are because I really like all these guys and, and hopefully you liked my explanations of them um, because they're different routes for sure. You have the defensive guy who wants to just create chaos on that side of the, of the ball. You have the offensive guy who's passing the ball a lot, doing a lot of just like, honestly, like schoolyard football. But making it so simple has been successful, uh, particularly for Graham Harrell. You look at everywhere he's gone, he's he's been successful. Um, and then, finally, with Greg Roman, another offensive guy, but this one, straight-up power football. Uh, he's going to run you over, and he's going to run you over creatively. And then, all of a sudden, for one drive, he's going to go 3-4 wide and just like spread you out that way, too. Um, a good fit for Brendan Lewis. I could see Brendan Lewis fitting well in either of those offenses. Um, I could see the Buffs defense fitting really well with Alex Grinch. Going for penetration, trying to make plays in the backfield, making that what the team is all about. I love it. I really love it. Um, let's just hope one of them wants to come to Colorado. This group of candidates feels so much better than the last group. Um, again, you never know how the interviews are going to go. When you, when you toss the question, grades are falling. What are you going to do to fix them to Greg Roman? What is he going to say? No idea. Or whatever problem could arise. Um, you, you hear there's a party, whatever. You, you throw them in all these different scenarios that college coaches, head coaches have to go through. You never know. And, you, you know, you look back, what did Mel do? He wanted to bring in those um, heart rate monitors so that he could track who was working hardest. He could track high speeds. And by all the players' accounts, it worked. They all felt like they had to work a lot harder. They all were competing to be the fastest on the team that day. Visca won a lot. I hope he runs a 4-3 in the 40. Um, but yeah. Um, actually getting a phone call now. This one is actually in, not a spam call. So I'm going to head out. Hopefully you guys have questions. Um, if not, there will be plenty to talk about anyway, so don't feel bad. See you tomorrow. Bye. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly 
like I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag yeah. is pushing 180. 80. Speed and pad competition. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we station. Patiently awaiting. Yeah. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd. Do the wave. Look into my eyes. I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you. You can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage. We gon' win it at the line. Yeah. My Colorado swag in the middle of the ring.